The only thing better than rock and roll is talking about rock and roll. I've said this a million times over the years, and I stick by my words. There's nothing better than discussing, analyzing, and arguing about rock bands with other rock fans. It's probably the most fun I get to partake in while out on the road. I mean, after getting to play the shows, of course. To banter back and forth about what's better, who's greater, which album rocks harder is a very satisfying pastime, and it only helps me appreciate the music better. After a spirited debate about some band or some album, I usually end up going back and giving the subjects in question a spin. More times than not, preceding discussions help breathe life into the album, and I hear it differently and can go deeper with it. I say I do this mostly on the road because when I'm home in Canada, there aren't too many people to go back and forth with about rock music. Again, I don't mean to sound like I'm criticizing Canada or I'm bitter in the slightest, but the plain truth is rock music and people who go deep with rock music are few and far between in these parts. They're out there, just none that I can see. It's a large reason why other musics take the foreground here and we're always touring abroad, and I'm very glad for it. Now, when I do meet somebody around here who can go back and forth tete-a-tete and match my fandom, even surpass it, they definitely have my attention. So it was with much delight that I invited Daniel Decay on the podcast for this episode to debate the much-loved Kiss album, Destroyer. Destroyer is probably the most popular in the Kiss canon. That's canon spelled with a K, I might add. And Daniel is definitely a fan of it. So when I say I invited him on to debate, well, that means that I'm of the opposite thinking. Yes, Kiss fans, I don't like Destroyer as much as everyone else does. I'm finally letting the cat out of the bag. And now that's cat with a K coming out of the closet. Again, that's closet with a K and letting the secret out. Destroyer by Kiss has always been a giant, eh, for me. In order to mount an argument against my viewpoint and to keep the ball bouncing, I needed someone of Daniel's next level fandom for Kiss to challenge me. Daniel comes steeped with cred as the guitarist for the rock band Diamonds and now lead guitarist in Exciter, not to mention being a Shredders of Metal judge on Banger TV with Alex Skolnick and Sam Dunn, who have both been past podcast guests, Alex Skolnick on episode number 87 and Sam Dunn on episode number 20. I can't find anyone more qualified to defend Destroyer than Daniel. Even though I mention it in the actual episode, I wanted to state here in the beginning that real supporters, true supporters, are those that have outspoken hardline opinions, good and bad, of their favorite band. Often contrarian viewpoints are interpreted as negative and unkind by fans of the bands in question and sometimes by the band members themselves. Trust me, I've been privately on the receiving end for some of the comments I've made about bands from the bands themselves. But... I stand by my opinions and do not waver because, for the nth time, I only criticize bands that I truly love and have nothing but fandom for. I think most big bands, to match their big egos, want nothing but a legion of people who love them unconditionally and love everything they do, but I'm just not that type of guy. At least when I like something, you'll know I love it. But not in 
this case. I feel Destroyer from KISS must be destroyed. At least the KISS Army have enlisted a formidable defender in Daniel Decay. And if you ever wanted to know what it feels like to go on tour with a band on the road, this episode is about as close an experience as you'll get to feeling like you're on the road with a rock band. Trust me. Now, I must warn you, this episode isn't for loyal KISS fans who are faint of heart. If you are the type of KISS fan who is quick to anger when anything is said against your favorite band, then I suggest you not listen. I'll be honest, I'm going to say some sacrilegious stuff on here, and it might cut you to the core. But Daniel is there on behalf of the rest of the army. Now, if you aren't a KISS fan, you can either skip this episode or listen to two people argue over something that nobody ever argues over, and that might be entertaining enough. Whatever you decide, it's going to happen. So without further ado, Daniel Decay is this episode's guest, and it starts now. The Daniel Jones podcast is the best around. Nick Flanagan is Daniel's co host. I love for free. I'm so glad I like to sometimes. Jimmy in from Fox Town. Stop playing. Hang down. There's only one podcast to listen to in this world. And that's the Daniel Jones podcast. Don't be a dick. Don't be I know that disco and rock and roll aren't supposed to mix, and we all know how great a rock guitarist Danko is, but when I accompanied him one night to a disco nightclub, I watched in awe as Danko tore up the dance floor. He was like Danny Terrio, John Travolta, and Adrian Zemed all rolled into one. When he was finished dancing, the music stopped and everyone applauded. The two of us immediately left the club and ended up in a blues bar where I watched Danko jam on CCR and Chuck Berry covers till dawn. It was amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready because the Danko Jones podcast starts. All right, Daniel Decay is here, and we are going to talk about one of our favorite subjects, which is KISS. Now, listen, Daniel, you know, the first, the reason that this whole discussion started was through your bandmate on Twitter, Priya Panda, sent out a tweet, not directed at me, but just out into the ether about KISS songs, I, I think, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Um, favorite kiss songs or I can't remember how this started me neither I don't I don't recall exactly if it was favorite kiss songs but I know there were a couple songs that came up and including a response from me I believe yeah that you definitely took I think you took some personal offense to my no no, no absolutely not no way I can't take any personal offense when it comes to people's kiss fandom whether it it, it exists if, if they have it or not um, but I thought Priya got mad at me because I just, I took her tweet and just started s- listing off, I think, all the, the songs I did not like from Kiss, including, I think, a couple that she had listed or something like that. 
that's how <laughs> you're it, right. And then you came in kind of like almost as a mediator between us going, hey, kiss is cool or some kind of something to that effect. To, to be honest, I don't think that I knew that you were being sarcastic until we had spoken after the fact. And you said that, you know, actually, I don't like those kiss songs. I was listing off songs I didn't like. I, yeah. I totally thought we were on the same page with kiss. No, I mean, I, I, well, that, why I bring this up is because it actually ignited something that I, I've kept quiet for years, which is, I don't really like Destroyer by Kiss. And I posted that. And I think a couple of the people who were following the back and forth who agreed with me on the certain initial Kiss songs I listed, when I said, you know, and Destroyer isn't that great either, they left my ship. Um, and Destroyer is by the Kiss Army considered one of the best, if not the best, Kiss album ever made. I'd say top three for sure for for Kiss Army members. I I agree. I feel like you can kind of get away with saying that you don't dig Dynasty. I think that uh, people... Yeah, yeah, like if if someone says, hey, I love Kiss, but I'm not really into Dynasty, I think that, you know, while I may disagree, that's kind of an okay opinion to have. It's generally accepted. But as soon as you start... Laying into Destroyer, we're gonna have some issues. It's, yeah, absolutely. Uh, amongst the Kiss Army, that is that is definitely in everyone's top three. I'd say like those the albums that people don't mind crapping on are are Elder, Unmasked, Dynasty, maybe Crazy Nights, Hot in the Shade, or maybe I'm just so all my other favorites is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's let's uh, okay. So first of all, I just wanted to say I am a huge Kiss fan. Daniel Decay is a humongous Kiss fan, uh, and because I'm going to be taking the contrarian view, I wanted to just state I am a huge Kiss fan, and I don't think uh, Kiss fandom should be blind or unconditional, and only real fans can really vent their opinions, okay? So let's just say it, state it right now. I don't need people hating on me or the Kiss Army hating on me. I think Blabbermouth wrote something about how this week, how I thought Tommy Thayer and Eric Singer should have their own makeup. Um, that's a whole other podcast, I think, just by your facial expressions. But let's start with the good things, I think, that we can agree on about Destroyer, mainly the Ken Kelly artwork. That is, I mean, come on. Come on. It's it's unbelievable. It's, it's iconic. It's everything about our superheroes that uh, it's come to life. It's everything that we thought about Kiss being comic book characters done so much more realistic and meaner. And it's just, uh, that art is obviously the first thing that catches your eye about that record. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really one of the first images of Kiss that uh, attracted me to them and made me want to find out what this whole thing was about so uh i concede destroyer artwork is probably the best artwork uh maybe love gun might be the best but also ken kelly exactly right so and we both kind of met him yeah totally. last year right we were at that, together yeah we yeah. were at that that was cool man yeah uh that was the london rock and con and uh i'd never met ken before and i was invited to be the mediator on his panel whoa so that was super cool and uh i didn't think he expected me to be as big of a kiss fan as i was i think that probably at a lot of comic-con type events you get mediators who are just 
from from the scene that just are good at mediating. But uh, I I came in with some serious Kiss knowledge and uh, a lot of knowledge of Ken's career outside of Kiss. And uh, he was super appreciative. We ended up hanging out uh, a lot that weekend. Yeah, you posted some Instagram photos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He uh, he gave me a print and he signed it and personalized it. Like Whoa. my favorite album cover was really cool and. Uh, We've, we actually kept in touch. Priya interviewed him for uh, another publication after the fact, after we made that connection that day. And uh, he, yeah, him and his assistant, they're, they're super funny people. We had a lot of fun that weekend. Wow. That, that, okay. So that's, that's a cool, positive... Let's totally. start on a positive note about Destroyer. You keep yeah. emphasizing how we're starting on a positive note. How bad is this going to get, Danko? You're going to look amazing <laughs> to the KISS Army. Um, so... You came here, I, okay, I, admittedly I have notes. You don't have too much notes, not because you're not prepared, but I think it's a little bit of some confidence or overconfidence or arrogance. You invited me on to... your part. You, uh, you, 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 th- you, got this, you think you got this licked, right? Well, dude, you invited me to defend one of my favorite Kiss records. Come on, how hard can this be? Right. So uh, the the album starts with uh, Detroit Rock City, mm-hmm. and it is a classic, probably top two Kiss songs. Totally, I think most people would agree. Totally, uh, and the other being Rock and Roll All Night. Right? Am I wrong about this? Like, I mean, at least to the greater the greater army. You yeah, know? I mean, I mean, we all have our own. Yeah, to to the greater army, I think that really the only ones that uh, have more commercial success are uh, your, uh, you know. You're, Beth, I was made for loving you. Uh, right, Beth, lick it up, perhaps. But to the the to the greater core Kiss Army, Detroit Rock City, Rock and Roll All Night. These are the staple go to songs. You can't argue. I think that there's a reason why Kiss is opening their final tour with Detroit Rock City every night. It really is. Uh, this it's a it's it's one of those cool Kiss songs that tells a story as well. It's very it relatable. And and I think you can't argue it until today. <laughs> Here we go. All right. So so I personally have never really uh, uh, been won over by this song. Okay. And this is a this is a personal thing. I've quietly kept this to myself. I've tried to convince myself for years that Detroit Rock City was on par with Rock and Roll All Night and some of the other great Kiss songs. Um, and I just, I can't, I was listening to this song even leading up here. And admittedly, as we go through this album, there's some songs where I've turned. Mm. So this is not one of them. And it's it's really morbid. It's a morbid song about death. Totally. And I don't really think it's a party song that you know Kiss and the rest of the army equate it being. I think it's a very morbid song. And as a Kiss party uh, party fan um, who likes to keep things up and light, I don't like it. In- interesting. De- definitely a dark song. First I drink and then I smoke and, you know. It, it could be anti-drinking and driving song. Absolutely. But Jesus Christ, it's based, it was inspired by a death. And it ends in death. And the fact that the, the driver is from Pontiac, Michigan in the radio preamble that's kind of that's kind of lame. Pontiac, Michigan was one of the first cities that embraced Kiss, and now you're kind of s- almost celebrating this death in a song. Am I wrong here? 
you're not wrong. You're absolutely hilarious. I, I know that you're – there's a look on my face that I wish that podcasts had a video accompaniment. Um, but uh, you're not wrong. Morbid song. Uh, the Pontiac thing, while you can look at it negatively like that, it's also – like you think about this, the song's about a guy trying to trying to catch his favorite show. He's running late. Uh, he's drinking. He's smoking because he's a teenager and he's into the the, the party vibe that Kiss gives off, especially in that era. Um, morbid topic, yes, but can it be turned in a positive light? Absolutely. Don't drink and drive. Uh, don't break the speed limit, and you'll probably arrive alive to your Kiss concerts. Okay. Well, I mean, uh, but. I do have a point about it, right? You totally do. And, and um, uh, I, I will concede again, the, the solo is actually pretty cool. So, yeah. The I mean, Paul Ace back and forth. Whether that was in the studio, but they do it live, it's, it's cool. It's, dude, the song, I mean, if we can get past the, the morbid lyrics, the song itself, I think, I think it smokes. Like, that dual, the, the drums on it as well, like, all the, all the little, the drum lead-ins, like, it's signature Peter Chris. Uh, it's got... The, the 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 ghost notes on uh, the verses like that groove that swing that's like total Peter. Um, well, the digga 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 dun 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 dun. That I will I will admit has to be Peter. <laughs> oh man, uh, let's not go down that road just yet. Um, yeah. The the that guitar solo though, I mean. Where else really in that classic Kiss catalog do we get like that dual lead vibe? Absolutely, I agree. I have to agree. Yes, that is true, and the chance to see Paul solo as well, a rare thing. absolutely. So that's cool. Okay, fine. We haven't changed each other's minds on this. Definitely not. I've conceded on a few points, but you also agree it is kind of morbid. Totally morbid, but that morbid car crash that we finish with is what gives us the perfect lead-in into the next song. What a way to start an album, like with this guy dying. But yes, King of the Nighttime World... Um, ah, what do you you like it? Ah, yeah, of course. I love this tune. Are you kidding? That's I think it's a great one-two punch to start a record. The way they, the, it's very rare for Kiss songs to fade into each other like uh, that. Yeah, true. Again, true. Um, that might be an Ezrin thing. Total. Ezrin it had thing. to be because before that they probably didn't even know they could do that. Um, but I have to say, King of the Nighttime World by Kim Fowley and the Hollywood Stars is about. 30% to 50% better than this one. And after you hear that, it ruins it when you go back and you listen to the Kiss version of it. I won't, I won't agree with ruins it, but uh, I, I will say that I do enjoy the original version of it. Uh, I think that the Kiss, the Kiss version's awesome, though. Like, I loved... I love this song. I think of it as almost like an anthem without being an anthem. Really. Oh, that's a good... I can see your point on that. I, I see it as an anthem like, um, as well. Kiss, kiss anthems are very, you know, rock and roll all night and shout it out loud. These are anthem type songs and they're written with the purpose of being anthems. But I think that for uh, a, a teenager, especially the demographic that was listening to Kiss, parents didn't understand them. They wanted to wear black t-shirts with Kiss logos and go out late at night and meet girls and and play pool and do all the other things that teenagers do i think that this was the anthem for the misunderstood teenager we we are the kings of the nighttime world um i I think it was like low-key i don't even know if they meant to write an anthem but for me they nailed it oh well kim fowley nailed nailed. (laughs) 
Oh, of course. Yeah, but it's all about the delivery, man. It's all about the Paul Stanley delivery, the way he sings the vocals. It's just, I don't know. There's something about that tune that gets me every time. Oh, it's hard to argue that point. Since I'm Team Paul, oh, you found my Achilles heel. Did Paul, Paul totally gets a writing credit on it as well. I know it's Kim yeah, Valley, but Paul, Paul does get his writing credit on it. Okay. Um, I'm not, I won't put King of the Nighttime World in, in the total um, nay column of, of the track listing. It's kind of down the middle for me. Um, but the next song is definitely in the nay column. God of Thunder. Written by Paul Stanley, sung by Gene Simmons. It's Gene Simmons' is, 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 is theme song at this point, has been for decades. Um, do you like this song? Um, I think that uh, in the early days of hearing Destroyer, uh, my first, let's call it, my, my first 150 spins. Um, <laughs> right. I think that uh, definitely as a young kid especially, I was Destroyer, just to loop back to the very beginning, definitely my first Kiss record. Okay. So you have to realize I was eight years old when I was hearing the, the okay, record. Okay, then it's hard to argue with you because you've got this like ingrained in your psyche. Abs- from, from the art to the transitions of the songs, I know it like the back of the back of my own hand. So a uh, lot of deep connection to it. But uh, back to God of Thunder, uh, I always loved it as a kid because it's so spooky and all the the kids screaming in the beginning, of course, Ezrin's kids, um, and all the sound effects. It was always something I loved about it. Uh, And then I heard the Paul Stanley demo and everything changed. Uh, I haven't heard that. You've never heard the the original Paul Stanley version? Is that on the box set? Uh, Yeah, it's on the box set and it's been released in a couple different bootleg uh, compilations. Oh man, I can't believe I get to tell someone on Team Paul about the Paul Stanley God of Thunder demo. Uh, It's way better than the one they went with. It's probably because, you know, I probably saw God of Thunder in the track listing and I just fast forwarded. I was raised by the demons. Uh, is originally written as like I was raised by the women. I live for power and fun. Uh, like the Paul Stanley lyrics are a lot sexier as opposed to spookier. And uh, yeah, it's totally it's an upbeat tempo. I can't believe you've never heard that. You gotta, no, you got to listen to that honestly because I, I, I really don't like the song. I find it too slow and uh, plotting. I think Gene is supposed to be Zeus here, right? Totally, but he's not. He's a demon. He's born on Olympus. It's like, it's like Peter Chris singing that he's like, it's like Peter Chris singing that he's like, uh, uh, you know, Sp- Spider Man. Mm-hmm. It has no, it has no lyrical um, uh, continuity for it to be Gene's theme song. It just he's, yeah, like uh, born on Olympus, daughter of Aphrodite. He, he's the god of thunder. How did you get to be the god of thunder when you're the de- you're a, you're like supposed to be like blood spawned by yeah hell hell fire? I I don't get it. You're supposed to be from down there, not up there. So lyrically, it just doesn't make sense. Paul Stanley, that would make sense that he might be the god of thunder. He's got a star in his eye, then a thunderbolt, or even Ace Freely could could take this as his theme but not gene simmons it's only because of those chord the chord sequence sounds kind of dark that ezra made it darker as you're saying from the demo but uh, i just find it lyrically i could never buy god of thunder being fucking gene simmons i just couldn't 
uh, for the longest time, I thought he was talking about Thor. Interesting. <laughs> and I just, I don't, I seriously, lyrically, this makes no sense to me. I really think it sucks. Because of that, you could have changed the lyrics, man. It's obvious. It's it's funny. I've never heard anyone take up that uh, that opinion or that stance on God of Thunder. I've never had anyone point out to me that they uh, had an issue with the lyrical content making sense, which is odd because I've definitely had numerous conversations about this song, especially because it's in the live set so much and such a well-known song. It's a common feeling amongst KISS fans to find the song a little bit plodding and slow. I definitely think that's a commonly held opinion but i've never heard anyone criticize the lyrics and i mean the only thing i've got for that is the lyrics are written by paul stanley they yeah. really are yeah and and the, you know what this goes back to the production paul should have sung this song let's we'll never know because we've heard god of thunder sung by gene now a million times so it's it's like defined by his vocals now at this point in time but now I got to go back and listen to the Stanley. You are going to love it. I, just, I mean, I see it on the track listing, and I'm just, I don't want to hear it. Oh, you're going to love it. Trust me. It's upbeat. It's completely different. Sounds totally different. Love it. And to be fair, those those compilations they put out, and I, you, no one can keep up. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was trying to listen to this to the song titles I've never mm-hmm. seen before. So those are the ones that I and I, I, I to be honest, in all truth, I skip through song titles that. I've, I mean, I've heard, I don't need to hear the demo of such and such, but now right. I'll go back and hear the demo of God of Thunder. So my point is made, but I could change my mind because of the demo. Mm-hmm. That demo is incredible. I'm honestly very surprised <coughs> for a dude as uh, well versed in Kiss as you. You really got to brush up on that one. Yeah, but I just I just don't buy Gene being an incarnation of Zeus. No, nope. he's the absolutely demon. Absolutely ridiculous. He's the demon. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, all right. So, um, and to be fair, listen, I, I, I should have stated this as well in the, the beginning. I, I've heard Destroyer, you know, a few hundred times as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, growing up, I had it on cassette, and it was on a 90-minute cassette, and the other side was Paul Stanley's solo album. So I would just... I would spend, you know, hours just flipping those two over. Um, so, um, but what I always thought sucked, and it's probably the worst Kiss song that they released on an album, is Great Expectations. I, I don't think, maybe second or third worst, I don't know what's worse than Great Expectations, but this is the def- defining song for me for, for why this album is just a schmaltzy. This is the this is the song of Kiss Schmaltz. This is as schmaltzy as Kiss got, and I'm not. I don't even. I don't even think Beth can touch Great Expectations in how schmaltzy it is. It is one of the worst songs in the Kiss canon. It's puerile lyrics married with something that's supposed to come off as being grandiose and grand and 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 uh, highbrow. It's ridiculous. I mean, you can wallow in that and you can see how the absurdity of it and enjoy it from that standpoint. But as a Kiss fan, enjoying a rock album of Destroyer with no irony involved, Great Expectations is terrible. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I don't have much 
to say in the positive light of Great Expectations, it's obviously the odd man out on this album. It's a total, total Gene Simmons uh, song as well. Like, it's so obvious. Everyone in the band hated the idea, I'm sure, and but then Gene got Ezrin on his side, and the two of them sat and put together this masterpiece. Um, I think it's very funny that the band tried to perform it live once. They did it in Australia with the Children's Choir on Symphony. Uh, obviously, the only live performance of it that there is, and it's thankfully, terrible. it's brutal. Um, what I will say for it is, as a kid, hearing those lyrics uh, about like a, a chick grabbing her boob like it was like always just really weird to hear the word breast like said so <laughs> so <laughs> the way he delivers it and like as a kid hearing that i thought it was like so taboo that was the only reason i was drawn to that song was like the taboo nature of the lyrics you see what my fingers can do like it's, it's so it's like terrible it's, lyric it's, writing. it's like really bad but i mean as a kid there was a, a weird appeal to it because it was like i heard things i couldn't hear uh, on other kiss songs in such plain english it doesn't even try to veil it with some good songwriting. No. It's brutal, very literal. He's not putting uh, his log in her fireplace. <laughs> Hell yes, yeah. so, I as mean, he did want... later on on albums. Gene lyrics, yeah, there's a ton, <laughs> and endless amounts of gene lyrics you can poke fun at. But um, yeah, I'm not going to defend Great Expectations. It's uh, it's a bad song. Uh, and originally, I guess going back, combing the lyrics, getting ready for talking to you, I realized and I and I read that. This song was originally supposed to be sung by all four. And that's why there's lines like, you hear me beating my drum. Mm -hmm. That was supposed to be Peter's line. I mean, imagine that version if it came to fruition. How ridiculous. And I kind of would, I would give it a pass almost because it's just, it's ridiculous. Yeah, they, they saved the ridiculous uh, four-part vocal thing for uh, that song on Psycho Circus that they all sing together about breaking <laughs> up or whatever. It's such a silly... You wanted the best. Very silly song. Did Ezrin do Psycho Circus? I don't know. Um, okay, so now we move on to Flaming Youth. Uh, of, okay. <clears throat> I, this is one of the songs that I'm... Because I originally, I think I, when we were talking about this, I said there's only one good song on Destroyer. There's two good songs. And this one's the other one, Flaming Youth. And then when I took a closer look, of course, there's a freely songwriting my credit. My boy Ace. So, of course, it's going to be a little more rocking to my ears than usual. Uh, still, schmaltzy as hell. There's mm -hmm. a calliope used on this track. It's obvious Bob Ezrin you know, idea to put a calliope in. Again, I will say it kind of works, but maybe that's just because I've heard this song a million times in my life. Mm -hmm. But zoning in on the calliope, I'm like, wow, that does add this really odd, cool, kind of, you know, uh, unexpected sound to this rock song. But I, I got to, oh, I was about to say I love this song, but I like this song a lot. I, I do. It's it's funny when they when they perform it live in the era, uh, the calliope is fully missing when you watch it live, mm. uh, and you really feel that it's missing. Uh, I love this song. All you like, I love. Uh, I love Flaming Youth. Um, I thought it's another one without being an anthem. It, it totally comes off as an anthem. It's it's a good song. It's a it's a great tune, and of course, Ace has got the predominant songwriting credit on it. Uh, which makes total sense. It sounds more like an Ace song, and uh, 
Zace doesn't have any other writing credits on this record. Yeah, and this song is terrible in the, in the sense that uh, Bob Ezrin got Dick Wagner to do the solo on it. He, uh, well, I don't know if he got Dick Wagner or if just Ace wasn't around, but, you know, it's not like... I don't think that they seeked out Dick Wagner to... to play where ace i mean let's not get into Ooh. what was going on in the studio there yeah. but we're not in the studio no we can only go on what has been said over time i will say that in my notes i have written here under flaming youth innovation or ridiculous schmaltz <laughs> <laughs> you love the schmaltz <laughs> i do i do i do um okay so it is good and the lyrics are are good too and those are I'm guessing Stanley's lyrics. Got to be. Yeah. Um, okay, so we move on to Sweet Pain. I'm curious about your 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 uh, opinion on this. It's a Gene Simmons song. Do you like it? Yeah, I like weird Gene Simmons songs about bondage. I'm into them. He jokes about that a lot yeah, these totally. days. You know, in interviews and stuff. Um, I don't like it. But I will say that uh, Gene Simmons singing and a how, and a how, I thought, <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> I thought, uh, I, you know, only Kiss would sing it like that, you know? And a how, and Gene's got these little kind of things, inflections that, wow, he can do, only Gene can do that, you know? Ooh, he's got this, he's got this thing. And, uh, and a how is very Gene. I uh, I will say uh, and a how is definitely up there in my top three like Gene vocal uh, vocal tags. Uh, number one is uh, obviously uh, uh, how do you do <laughs> off rock and roll over. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. <laughs> um, is that ladies' room? No, my limousine is waiting. Right, right. Yeah, and I see <laughs> you coming my way. Yeah. Hey, yeah. hey, yeah. hey, yeah, 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 yeah. That song's full of awesome yeah. vocal tags. Yeah. Um, Love, 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 love them, leave them. Yeah, that's a good one for Gene's Gene. inflections. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. But, okay, this one, though, Dick Wagner did replace Ace's solo. I know. And okay, it, so it bummed me out as a kid so much finding that out. I think I found that out. It's after, like, Gene's first book comes out, and he starts talking about some of the studio stuff that happened on Kiss and Makeup. I think that's where I first read it. And I was so bummed out to find out because I love that solo. It's kind of uh, outside of the normal realm of, a, of an Ace solo. And I always thought, I'm like, oh, wow, Ace is really <laughs> thinking outside the box here. And it's this cool little breakdown riff for the solo. And then, of course, yeah, it's Dick. It's Dick Wagner. And uh, Ezrin goofed on this. I think he did, a, he did a disservice to Ace. Maybe it was just because of the atmosphere in the studio, like you kind of mm -hmm. alluded to before. But he put it back in when he remixed it in 2012. Resurrected, yes. Ezrin, Ezrin. Yeah, Destroyer Resurrected. Right. So that's kind of his way of apologizing, maybe. Um, Dick's, Dick's solo is admittedly better, I think. I think that the Ace solo that they have, it sounds like it was a scratch solo. It sounds like he was just... Mm. It does sound playing scratch. with it. It yeah. total scratch because he's not as a guitar player. You yeah. can kind of suss it out. Yeah, as he's a he's he's feeling the chord changes yeah. and he's just kind of, uh, you know, uh, bending on it and kind of feeling it out. I think it was meant to be a scratch solo. I believe the story is that uh, on the day of Sweet Pain, specifically, Ace was in the midst of a very important card game, and uh, that's that's. I mean, I don't know if that's lore or what, but uh, <sighs> at some point in the Kiss Army, I had heard a story that. Sweet Pain specifically, Ace Ace was on a bit. Man, the guy guy had a hot hand. He couldn't leave. <laughs> Listen, if Gene says it, I don't know. It could go either way. But if Paul says it, chances are 
It's true. That's that's, that's it's just because your team Paul. That team yeah. Paul's talking here. Yeah. I know. Um, but I will say this: Could is this because now now that all the dust is settled and all the secrets are out, we kind of all know that many studio musicians were brought in o- over the course of Kiss albums. Is this the is this the seed? Is this the moment that showed to Gene and Paul that they didn't all four didn't need to be on every album because up to this point. They were a team. They were a band for good or for bad or for better or for worse. They were, you know, with Peter, with all his, you know, drum problems, drumming problems. They were, they would go through it. But now they were shown the possibility that, listen, you can just bring in a studio guy. I can just get this quick expert to lay this down and we can keep going and have all your ideas intact. Is this the seed? Because if it is, if you, if you... If you think so too, then I just think this sowed the seeds for the breakup that eventually happened. I mean, this is definitely where Ace and Peter feel like they're not part of the band. Of course, we've all been around people in bands where, you know, they're out, they have their own various versions of card games that Mm -hmm. they're doing. Mm -hmm. But, and I always felt. I, after being in a band and going through that, I, could, I definitely feel what Gene and Paul felt. I'm more of a Gene and Paul guy in, in, in a band dynamic than a Peter and an Ace guy. Mm-hmm. So um, hearing Paul and Gene complain about them and how, I, and a how, um, I, uh, I understand where that's coming from. But this is really important, I think, in history. This solo, this, this track, man. It showed Gene and Paul that, hey... We can just get we can just get a um, a, a real you know a, a studio drummer to mm-hmm. just do it. I I have uh, I think I have a good split opinion on this. I think that the inclusion and this being the start of the inclusion of session musicians in yeah, Kiss session musicians. I think that it's a good thing because I love that our Kiss family uh has it's so wide and that names like bob kulik and anton fig and dick wagner are names that all kiss army members know and that we embrace them and we celebrate their contributions to the band i think that's a very positive thing and i love that we're inclusive and there's no quote unquote no secrets um (laughs) but uh i mean do i wish that it was the four you know the four who are one they always said the four forces uh do i wish it was those four dudes on every album sure a part of me wishes that but also being someone that plays in a band i also equate with more of the gene and paul mindset while i may have more of the tendencies of a peter or an ace <laughs> i definitely understand uh the mindset of gene and paul and you know when push comes to shove uh, sometimes you know sometimes your core member of the band is unavailable or there's issues or Something's not up to snuff, and you got to call in professional help. And uh, I don't think it's anything to be embarrassed of as long as it's not buried. I think that it's okay to embrace these people and embrace them as part of the, the recording family. And studio is always is different than live. You know this better than anyone. Uh, a live show is your band, and those are your four guys. But there's things in the studio, instruments that you don't have in the live show, and musicians that you won't have in the live show. I think there's no harm in including those people in the the family. So guys like guys like Dick Wagner especially bummed me out to find out it wasn't Ace's solo at first, but I fully embraced him as a member of the Kiss family. Okay. 
All right. Um, let's let's move on to the to the number one song on the album after Detroit Rock City. So it makes it number two, I guess. Shout it out loud. Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley's song anthem with Bob Ezrin. Um, what's your take on it? Uh, I like it. Um, I'm not spinning it constantly. Um, I like a good anthem. I've always liked a good anthem, but this falls into the category of the same category as rock and roll all night to me. Great anthem serves its purpose. I don't necessarily need to hear it ever again. Oh, so you're kind of suffering from burnout. Burn, you've been burnt out on it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a combination of burnt out on it, and I also find that uh, like it doesn't. Ha- it's not multi-dimensional to me. It's very much. It's an anthem. It's on the surface. Short solo, simple chord progression, call and answer type vibe, and everyone gets their vocal tag on there, which I really like. Uh, you got to have a party. Come on, turn it up louder. Like everyone. Everybody shout it now. Everyone gets their chance to, to say something, <laughs> which is cool. But, uh, yeah, I don't really ever need to hear that song ever again. Do you, uh, do you feel that way about rock and roll all night? 150%, especially if it's the studio version. I have a very hard time. Like, if that ever comes on on the radio oh, or yeah. on a playlist it's in like a shuffle. Happy yeah, yeah, it's just like, you know, I know it inside out. I know every change, but I don't need to hear it. But go back to the first time you heard Shout It Out Loud. Right. Did you love it? Of course. How could you, you not? Yeah, okay. I, f- I feel like I feel like yeah, you kind of have to, especially the way it's produced on Destroyer. Um, it sounds very big, and uh, it does sound anthemic, and it just kind of gets you in that mood. And Kiss Kiss wants you to be in. I think they nail it on uh, on an anthem. Ah, uh, because when I heard it, uh, I really thought it was a shameless rock and roll all night knockoff, and because I immediately thought that as a kid, I was trying to like it. But just because I knew, I knew what they were doing with the back and forth between Gene and Paul trading off lines and stuff. And yes, this kind of anthem and the an- anthemic chorus. I just knew they were trying to recapture rock and roll all night, trying to rewrite this hit uh, that, that kind of almost defined them. I thought that was cheap, man. I know bands do that and maybe we've done it too, but fuck, man. Kiss don't have to do that, and and that that's why I can't listen to the song. I, I really don't like it. It's played in sporting events, mm-hmm. and and when it comes on, I'm like, oh, oh, a little bit of Kiss in, in, today, you know. But I, that's about as much as I can enjoy it. Not because of burnout, but because I know this is a knockoff, and they're just trying to, they're just trying to uh, copy themselves. And I thought that was just, I just couldn't get over it as a kid. I, I swear. And I'm putting it, I, I've really, it's really freeing, man. Just saying I don't like this album it is great. Um, so, yeah, that's how I feel about it. It's really cool that you recognize that even as a kid. That's, oh, a, yeah. that's a pretty deep observation. But it was an easy thing, though. Like, it, the back and forth, the shout it out loud. It was like, wow, this is, I knew it was an anthem. I knew it was like rock and roll all night because they were just shout it. But I just couldn't, I couldn't piece it together. The bass is pretty much the coolest part of that song, I think. I love the bass line. Gene Simmons' bass lines are so underrated. I know. He's, it's, it's crazy to say that Gene Simmons is underrated as anything. I know. Because God, I, I didn't realize it until you like, said it. Like it's, it's, it literally is the most ridiculous thing you can say. He'll agree. 
And but I mean, he's of all the things he's never been highly rated for. Like he's an underrated bass player, man. Yeah, it's his true. writing, his writing is unbelievable, and it's that total Beatles influence. It's like total yeah. McCartney influence on him. I love it. Yeah, uh, his bass playing, his writing specifically is amazing. Compliments in that tune, the piano in the studio. Like, it sounds really okay. good. Okay, re-listening to it leading up to this discussion. Yeah, the grand piano was a very sweet touch. Oh yeah. Uh, and listening to it again after, you know, making albums myself, being in the studio, knowing those techniques, I really realized that, wow, man, that must have sounded huge when they first, when Ezrin first laid that in, in a mix, man, that would have, that would have blown me away too. I, yeah. I must admit. Um, so yeah, there's that, but piano's, like piano's mixed high on this whole record. Yeah. Like see, even in Detroit rock city, it's really loud. Is there one? Dude, I gotta oh, listen yeah, yeah, to it yeah. again. Go back, listen to Detroit Rock City. Okay, so now we kind of get to the diamond uh, song of the record. The the uh, what is it? Outlier song. The Beth is the ballad that God made Kiss a household name for for a, for a year. Um, and we all know the story. It was uh, what was it? Detroit Rock City or shout it out? No, no it's Detroit Rock Detroit City Rock on City's the A side. B side. Yeah, yeah. And then people loved Beth, and they started playing Beth, and it became a, a humongous hit for them. And you might not remember it, but if you hear it, people people know it. And so uh, this is a this is a weighty song. A lot of baggage with this one. So what what's your opinion on it? Um. As a ballad, it's, I think, a, a very well-constructed song. Agreed. T- tells a great story. Agreed. Pulls at the heartstrings. Sure. Um, especially if you're a musician and you've ever had a girl waiting for you at home and she doesn't understand that you're going to be out all night and it's hard to tell her. Like, it's it's just very well put together in the instrumental section. As a Kiss song, though, it's very weird. And uh, the only way I can describe it uh, the emotion tied to this song for me is what I experienced a few weeks ago at the last Kiss concert I saw. The piano comes out, Eric takes the front of the stage, and they're about to do Beth. And in my head, I'm like, all right, well, here we go. Beth, a song that doesn't really affect me. It's a ballad. Uh, it's not a total Kiss jam for me. But I found myself more engaged and connected to Beth than I ever was to the point where, dare I say, there was a bit of a tear forming in in, in the well of my eye. Um it was crazy, I, just thinking that this would be the last time, or one of the last times, I ever saw Kiss perform that ballad live. It affected me in a way I never thought it would, because I never thought I had a deep connection to that song. But in reality, I do. And um, as much as I want to sit here and say, it's a ballad, it has no place on a Kiss record, it totally belongs on this record, and it really does tie the whole thing together for me. And it gives chance of Peter to, uh, gives Peter a chance to sing which is always amazing. I love Peter's voice, obviously. He does have a good voice. Uh, its placement on the record does make Destroyer more interesting than if it wasn't on the record. Mm-hmm. I'll concede to that. I think the tear that you experienced at the show has more to do with maybe Eric Singer singing the song. <laughs> no, uh, but, uh, and he does a great version of it. Eric's I mean, got an incredible yeah, voice. Yeah, great. I mean, that's not, a, that's not a jab at, at Eric Singer at all. Um, I love Peter Chris's voice, uh, but it just backs up what I was saying about 
great expectations that it's just more schmaltz that Ezrin brought to the to the kiss table and look look man I'm a rocker I liked I liked the uh, dress to kill I liked love gun um, those are those are the albums that I, I like lick it up there's no Beth on lick it up and so so would there I'm be? just I'm, no I'm just I'm just I find it interesting that uh, you like you say you present that you like the hard rockers of the kiss albums yeah, yeah. and then like the B side of Love Gun is not that hard rocking, in my opinion. I think that Love Gun starts out real heavy, dun 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 dun, like very very heavy, uh, like the the mom spilling her her drink in the beginning of Detroit Rock City in the film. Uh, but uh, yeah, I find the second half. I know we're not talking Love Gun, but I do find the second half of Love Gun to be not so hot out the gate. Like what? What are the songs? I on mean, we we perhaps we should be doing uh, a Love Gun podcast. Should do another another album. another album. Because because oh, are are you? Am I sensing that love? You're you're not too on board with Love Gun. It's definitely not in my top five. Oh my god, it's in my top five or three. Yeah, let's do that then oh, next. That's great. Okay, yes, <laughs> two okay. sides of the coin, buddy. Yeah. Let's oh, do it. Oh yes. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, okay, so Beth, I did want to say this though. Kiss put the phony in symphony. I came up with that. Come up with my notes. I had to slip that in there. Copyright. Uh, Yeah. So um, the last track, I mean, the last official song on the album is uh, Do You Love Me? And that was the one song I said was the one good song on Destroyer when we were talking about that. And I love Do You Love Me. I fucking love loved this song since I was a kid. I fucking thought it fucking ruled. I I think it it it, it um uh, it's all about being a rock star and also the insecurity of being a rock star, a rock star, and and just all the 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 thoughts you have and it's wicked and I, an insight into Paul's mind. Although it's Kim Fowley wrote the lyrics, um, <clears throat> I love the way Paul delivers it. I love the way the song starts and I love the swagger on Stanley's vocals. It's wicked. Yeah. I, I, I think for once this afternoon, we fully and yes, without a doubt, see eye to eye on a, on everything you just said. Uh, drum intro. I, I remember hearing this on vinyl for the first time and just rewinding it back and forth to the drum intro so I could learn what you really like. Like I wanted to learn the lyrics perfectly. And I recall my mother coming up to my bedroom because I was spinning the record record backwards to rewind it. Yeah, I didn't know what I was doing. I was destroying the belt on my uh, on my um, my platter, but that's another story. I had no idea what I was doing. And my mom was like, what, what are you doing? I remember I was rewinding it so I could learn the lyrics that Paul Stanley was saying. I love this song. Yeah. So much swagger and the insecurity. See, I, I'm i not a singer, so I don't uh, – I, I memorize lyrics, but I don't interpret lyrics the way you do as as a vocalist. I'm not a big lyric guy for other lyrics. No. But you, you made a great observation on but the – But I've ins- heard the – I've heard this. Right. Like the insecurity is a great observation. It's uh, all these amazing things. A girl's so into yeah. him being a rock star, but – at a very basic human level, like, do you love me? I love it. It's great. I mean, once, you know, once I was in a band and we started to get a little bit of attention and traction and, you know, you, you, you meet people that know about you before you know them mm-hmm. kind of situation. Mm-hmm. These, this song crept into my head at a, a few points where I'm like, do you even like me? Because 
you like that's the whole point of the song of right do you even like me because i'm me or is it because you like the band and you like being around all the money us? honey yeah i love it man well <laughs> minus that <laughs> there's no limos <laughs> um but uh i loved it i love I, I love this song and it's i gotta say top 10 kiss songs of all time for me if not top six or seven they uh, they they inserted it into the final tour. Actually, I think it's been on the set list the whole time. Doc, uh, Calling Doctor Love was a late addition, but uh, the final tour they're playing. Do you love me? And it's great. It's going off incredible oh, live. Man. It's a great song, and uh, it, it's a good way to end this uh, uh, spirited debate. Yes. On. This, Destroyer. This didn't get nearly as messy as I thought it would. You've no. you've, you've got some valid points, and I, I respect your opinions. And I'm not uh, going to invite you over here to like fucking pile on you. <laughs> yeah. Hey, why don't you come over, do a podcast? <laughs> it's going to be awful for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, okay. So what I also wanted to touch on is you. Cool. You know that's the reason why I have you on. Uh, beyond just this uh, destroyer discussion, you are. Very, you're a very busy man, Daniel. I am. I like to keep busy uh, as much as possible. Um, Any time where I'm not doing something, I just have this jumping desire to be doing something. So I often get myself into as many projects at one time as possible. Well, guilty. Yeah, I mean, you've got your band, Diamonds. Yep. And uh, that's going full on, full strength. Yeah, we did uh, self-titled record, came out uh, at the end of last year. Um, only one show in support of said record so far, which has uh, made the, the Diamonds fan base kind of wonder, like, what, what the hell's going on? Uh, we put out a music video for it as well, and everyone was freaked out that we put out a music video as a three-piece, which we had never done. Um, and th- the, the truth of the matter is, is just everyone is so busy and you know how it works with uh, interband personal relationships. People want to try other things and do other stuff. So um, Diamonds put out a record and we were all so, so busy that we've really only had time to get together in Toronto and rehearse for one gig so far. Albeit a huge gig. It was the Monsters of Rock Cruise, which was amazing. That's right. That's right. I, but I, you it, were tweeting about that. Yeah, it so. was, it was a, an incredible experience. You would have loved the, the lineups. We were seeing Kingdom Come played and Rose Tattoo. And come on, man. It was, it was quite the bill. Hashtag justice for Kingdom Come is yes. my trademark. I know yeah. that's your thing. That's why I bring it up. Um, <laughs> uh, that's really cool. And then um, you're in Exciter. Yeah, which is totally surreal. Um, you are the newest member of I'm on a long list of former Ottawa, members. Ottawa's metal legends. Ottawa's speed metal uh, pioneers, man. Um, I grew up in Ottawa. I grew up down the street. I was very lucky. I had a quite a thrash upbringing. I grew up down the street from Jeff Waters and Dan Beeler. So uh, Canadian thrash metal and heavy metal, very well represented on on that street in uh, wow. in uh, suburban Ottawa. Um, it's so when they when John Ricci announced retiring from Exciter, uh, it was instantly. I think within forty minutes of me hearing that news, I'd already written an email uh, to Al Johnson, who was ironically the only member of Exciter I'd never met. Al uh, Al had retired from music for a long time uh, at a point in Exciter's career, but uh, then the the full lineup reunited, the original three dudes, and then John Ricci retired and. Uh, 
without much explanation or notice, I'll say, he kind of walked from the band and gave them his blessing to continue. So I got on the phone with Al and I got on the phone with Dan and I came down and we uh, jammed together and we're... Uh, what if I'm flying out in 48 hours to play a gig with them? You you kind of put Exciter back together again. Uh, before honestly, they uh, completely broke down. I don't want to take. I'm getting goosebumps just hearing you say it in terms like that. But I'd, I'd like to think that I'm definitely holding them together and uh, lighting lighting a bit of a fire uh, in the Exciter camp. Uh, I'll say it here for the first time. Uh, we're working on new music. Nice. Uh, which is crazy. Oh, uh, Dan, Dan Beeler and Al uh, Johnson, the original original two-thirds of Exciter, with me on guitar, of course, filling in for John Ricci, founder of the band. Um, it's, it's an honor to be able to write tunes with these guys and forget that jam, my favorite songs with them. I walked into the first rehearsal and they were like, ah, oh, this is the set list. Are there any things that you want to do that's not... Do, do you know any other songs? I'm like, well, I know all your songs, so... You pick a song and we'll we'll add it to the set list. So we're doing songs that they haven't done live in a long time. We're going to do some songs off Unveiling the Wicked, which is representing an era that was never represented live for them ever, really. So uh, it's really exciting. Uh, the whole thing is really, really friggin' exciting. Well, you are on the eve of being very even more busy then. If yes. this is if this means Exciter will be you know, back at it and, and more active than ever before because of you. Yes, new music. I'm going to be announcing some more European shows this week as well. Oh. So it's uh, it's all happening, man. It's, a, it's really exciting. And it's just something cool about going back to your hometown to jam with these pioneers that you looked up to. And all of a sudden, you're one of them. I feel like I'm Mark Wahlberg or something. It's really odd. <laughs> um, and then you do, um, you work with... Uh, Sam Dunn. I do, and, yes. And the guys at uh, Banger TV, Banger Films. Yep. You do a lot of online content and yep. a lot of their shows. I see you through Instagram and through YouTube and stuff. You're all you're a, a talking head. I, I am. For Banger TV and Banger Films, right? Yeah, I guess I, I kind of got my dream. My dream really came true. I always, uh, especially growing up in the era I did when... Was watching much music a lot and they had all the talking head shows it was like all their programming before it became a lot of 16 and pregnant and etc yeah. garbage programming it was all talking heads it was like video on trial oh okay and like yeah, that's right. that's that's my era of of consumption of of music programming so i always loved the talking heads and uh of course i saw uh, metal headbangers journey in its first week of being released and absolutely like every young metalhead I finally felt that a movie was made for me and uh flash forward some like 12 or 13 years later and I'm working for Sam Dunn it's uh been really really awesome with that um I've I do a lot of their interviews for uh they use the the interviews in in the films as well as we run a YouTube channel Banger TV okay um so I do a lot of that stuff we do album reviews uh we're putting uh, we're about to film uh the second season of a guitar competition show we do that's right yeah uh, Shredders of Metal it features Alex Skolnick as a judge and introducing this year Ben Weinman as a judge it's two very uh, esteemed guitar players on the panel and uh seven shredders and they duke it out for Mm -hmm. the the king of the shred and uh it's cool. This year we got ESP on board and we got Marshall on board. So we're giving away a huge prize pack. And uh, that film's at the end of the month. And then it'll be released sometime after as a digital series on YouTube. 
That is amazing. I mean, that's uh, incredible that you, you're the only thing you need now is a podcast. I, you know what? Someone told me the other day that you're not legit unless you have a podcast. Is that, no, is that the truth? No, it's I think you're legit if you're too busy to have a podcast, <laughs> and which I think you you might. But please come on this podcast uh, as much as you want. What about what about you? You've got you've got a new record. You got the, the I've I've never seen a video that was put together with uh, like a rock video with dancing as as the it's a one take the, the frame like a one take dance video. Like I haven't seen anything that interesting since that treadmill video like uh, yeah, yeah. ten years ago with <laughs> yeah, OK yeah. Go. Yeah, uh, like a one take video. Like tell tell me what's going on with you, man. I feel like we haven't seen each other in a hot minute. Amir Chamden did that video in Stockholm. Amir's done pretty much every helicopters video nice and we've been wanting to work with him for a very very long time and we saw each other last year at a helicopters show in fact and started talking again we talked through the night and made contact again and so when this album you know needed of a, a real video uh we contacted amir and he was game so it's great to have him do that he, he's done some great Man, I mean, all his helicopters videos are incredible. Very good. So we trust him as well. And so, yeah. Um, we're playing Sweden Rock this year, and we haven't played Sweden Rock since 2012. And the last time we played Sweden Rock in 2012, backstage, our dressing room neighbors were Exciter. That's amazing. So uh, <laughs> that's funny that, you, you know, they, they seem to... I don't know. We'll cross paths with so you guys. When you're at Sweden Rock, you got to remind them that we're still a band and uh, tell us tell us to get us booked on that one. Oh, I think you will. Uh, once once it comes out, I'm sure you guys will get back on there. Well, okay. So the invitation stands. We got to do this again. Absolutely. But take on Love Gun and uh, update us on what's going on with you when we come back. And uh, great having you on. Dude, a pleasure as always. Great to see you, Danko. Let's have lunch. Yeah, let's do it. Mm-hmm.